Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And welcome back to a brand new season of Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my most wonderful friend and co-host, Serena Lauf. What a weird old time it's been since we last spoke to you all, and we really hope that you're all keeping well. And hopefully you've been managing to enjoy some of our guests' healthy habits to keep you going and help you explore new ways to bring joy and balance into your lives. Serena, is there anything you've been particularly enjoying over the last few months out of season that has maybe been inspired by our guests from series one and two? I have indeed. I have been doing lots of cooking. I'm still going on the old sourdough. Cooking was Jack Norman's healthy habit. I have been enjoying some online breathwork sessions with Breathe with James, James Dowler, who is fab. And I have been doing lots of walking in the woods, which was Laura Brown's healthy habit. How about you? Yeah. Same with James's good old breathwork sessions. Um, if you have been following James listeners, he has been doing Instagram lives, breathwork. So they have been a joy to join in on through this weird old period. And same with you, Serena, lots of walking. So thanks Laura Brand for that lovely, healthy habit. But Let's get on with this exciting new season. For anyone new listening to this podcast, Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from the kitchen table. Each week we have a brilliant new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe, which is created using our guests' three favourite ingredients. We like to discuss what they love about those ingredients. And this season, we're going to be sharing the recipes on our brand new Patreon page for you all to enjoy. So we'll pop the details for that in the show notes. We've got a whole host of inspiring guests for this season. So we hope you'll love it as much as us. So let's get on with today's episode. Today's guest is Grace Kingswell, a nutritional therapist who has recently made a big move to Cornwall, and both Serena and I are completely obsessed with Grace's life. She helps individuals optimize their health by getting to the root cause of what's making them feel unwell. And Grace says that health begins at the source, not with the symptom. We speak to Grace about so many brilliant things, so do keep listening. 
from her journey into becoming a nutritional therapist, how she helps her patients, to her move to the seaside and the benefits of getting outside first thing in the morning. I learned so much from our chat with Grace and it was such a joy to have her on. I feel like we all, even though we haven't met, we just hit it off. So here is the lovely Grace Kingswell on the Kitchen Club. Welcome to Kitchen Club. Hi guys, thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure to have you on. Season three and we're just so excited to speak to you. I know Serena and I were just like, but, I want to say bumming you but that sounds awful. <laughs> Sarah and I do bum you a lot. Oh thanks guys, I love to be bummed. <laughs> you were top of both of our lists to, to speak to so it's such a pleasure to have you. That's so kind. I'm super excited to be here all the way from, well, very sunny Cornwall right now, which is lovely. I know we just had a realisation that Sarah and I should have hopped on the train down to visit Grace and to record live with her because then we could have been by the sea for the day. Mm. So we're very silly. But when you say hop on the train, I mean, it is like many hours. So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Oh, we would have had, we would have had fun. We would have done. Another time, another time. Grace, let's kick off by speaking about your three ingredients, which, I mean, you went a little over over the top on this and you gave Mm. us eight. I feel like over the top could be a great adjective to describe my cooking, Sarah, because (laughs) um, I like to throw lots of flavours into dishes. Awkwardly, I can't remember what my three ingredients were, but if I was to try and remember, I feel like it would be something to do with pasta and garlic and lemon zest. Oh, spot on. Um, and just I need to caveat this with the fact that like yes I am a nutritional therapist so the pasta probably is brown rice pasta um which I know snore very boring but you know gluten's not my friend so um yeah garlic pasta you have to tell me if I'm right um so far yes uh white wine no but oh what an ingredient yeah, I mean, and you could enjoy this recipe alongside a nice glass of white wine. You could, yes, and then maybe like chili and some form of seafood and tomatoes. Okay, okay. okay. So, what were my actual <laughs> ingredients, Serena? You tell us, and then tell us what you made for Grace. So you said pasta, garlic, Greek tomatoes, which we have a question about. I googled Greek tomatoes. Do you mean tomatoes from Greece or do you mean like tomatoes stuffed with rice and all of like, like they do in Greece? I, I just mean, please, can you travel to Greece and bring back tomatoes <laughs> that have been grown in Greek soil? Thanks. Okay. Well, we did you. that. So, <laughs> Hence not having time to come down to Cornwall because oh. I've been in Mykonos this morning. And then quarantining um, for two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you said lemon zest, parmesan, because they're basically condiments. And then you said sourdough, butter and jam. But you said, I'm not going to choose those because then you'll just give me toast. Which wouldn't be a bad thing. No, delicious. In fact, my absolute favourite. And yesterday I made a fresh loaf of sourdough just for your recipe. So I'm quite proud because I've managed to get all of them apart from the jam into one recipe. Oh my gosh. Okay, tell me. 
Which is confusing because you're like, how have you got toast and pasta into one? Have you put breadcrumbs on top of the pasta? Is it like carbs on top of carbs? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Although the other option we could have done, you know, when you're little and you have spaghetti hoops on toast? Yeah. Mm. Could have done that. So what I have made for you is a tomato and garlic spaghetti mm. with uh, sourdough garlic pangrattata, <gasps> which is... For anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's called poor man's parmesan. And it's an Italian thing where they blitz up uh, breadcrumbs and then fry them with oil and herbs and garlic, basically as a cheap way of adding flavor and texture to pasta dishes. But we're going to have parmesan on it as well because we're extra. This sounds so good. And actually, I'm really glad that you explained what pangrattata is to me because there's a place that we go for food all the time down here called Canteen. Mm. And it's incredible food. And they, the menu is always like very difficult to decipher because it has all of these types of words like pangrattata on. And um, yeah, fancy breadcrumbs. I love it. Mm-hmm. Fancy breadcrumbs. That's a such it is. It's crunchy so, garlicky breadcrumbs. Do I, how does this work? Do I now have to make my recipe? to be allowed on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, normally we would cook it for you, but I'm afraid we're going to have to send you the recipe and you're going to have to make it yourself. So okay. we won't release this, Grace, until you've, until you've made it. Until I've <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> or okay, we'll I'll make it when best. we come to Cornwall. We'll make yes. it for you when we visit you in Cornwall. Excellent. And we can also add the jam at that stage. Great idea. <laughs> and the yes. white wine. <laughs> yes, much yes. wine will be consumed. Oh, well, thank you. That sounds delicious. And I will 100% give that a go. Hope Yay. you buy it. <laughs> um, Grace, work-wise, you are a woman of many, many talents. <clears throat> thank you. I'm going to list your talents and you can tell me if I've missed anything off. You're okay. a functional nutritional therapist. Correct. A breath worker. An Correct. auricular acupuncturist, a podcaster, yes. a cold water swimmer. Is there anything I've missed? Uh, I feel like cold water swimming is more just about being ballsy and less about having talent. But yes, I do do all of those things. So thank you. I think it's a talent. <laughs> oh, I think it's a talent. a talent. Now that I'm living in Cornwall, I'm a wannabe surfer, but um, I'm not very <laughs> good at that yet. So I think it's quite good that you left that off. And avid tennis player. Oh, yeah. I'm actually quite good at tennis. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah. And uh, my tennis coach from my youth um, made a, a joke at me the other day where he said that he doesn't know many people that have semi-retired at the age of 29 because seemingly all I do in Cornwall is either swim, play tennis or like take pictures of my home. So, <laughs> what a dream. so I'm so glad that you listed that I actually have uh, skills at the same time. <laughs> Um, I've got so many questions for you about your work because there's a few different bits of it that I think might be good to explain for people. But Mm -hmm. first of all, how did you get into the world of holistic healing? Or is there something that you'd rather call it than that? Um, It's it's not hugely holistic, although I am quite holistic in approach. Um, So I I got into... So nutritional therapy is quite different from being a nutritionist. Um, With nutritional therapy, especially when you practice it functionally, which I'll explain what that means. Um, You're basically most of the time working with patients who don't really have a diagnosis, or maybe they do have a diagnosis, but they have all these symptoms. um, They don't really know why they feel kind of a bit crap all the time. um, And they basically have exhausted kind of orthodox methods of treatment. You know, they might have gone to their GP and they might say, for example, 
you're a woman and you go to the GP and you've got like terrible period pains every month to the point of just being like unlivable. And they say, okay, you can either go on the pill or you can take pain medication. And you don't want to do either of those things because they haven't really got to the root cause of what's causing the issue. You might then seek out a functional medicine practitioner, a nutritional therapist to kind of help you get to the bottom of that. So it's all about what's causing the symptoms. Um, root cause medicine is a great way of describing it. Um, and it's very much based in science. Like I do a lot of testing for patients. Um, but the approach and the treatment is always natural. So there's no antibiotics, there's no steroids, there's no um, hormone replacement therapy, that kind of thing. Um, and in terms of how I got into it, I guess I don't, I've always just been fascinated by, I guess it started with food really, because I've always been fascinated by food. And growing up, I was always very, very poorly. Um, I just never felt well. I was tired all the time. You know, I my friends would kind of go out and party and eat crappy food and there was me just trying my hardest and like eating broccoli all the time and just feeling awful um and so I got quite fixated on on food when I was younger and I just assumed that it was the cause of everything like I need to eat better I must eat better all the time because you know I, I don't feel great um and then when I was 17 I got kind of really mysteriously ill um I was on a Spanish language course in the in Granada um, for two weeks. And I was just unbelievably sick, like excruciating pain in my, um, in my stomach and couldn't get out of bed or could only get out of the bed to like get on the toilet. Um, and yeah, basically crawled through the um, security back at Gatwick Airport on my hands and knees and was rushed to A&E kind of straight away. And it turned out I had a huge lump on my left ovary. Um, and at the time, um, the doctors kind of said it was a bit of a medical mystery because they had no... So a, a, an abscess on an, is basically like an infection. Um, but there was absolutely no way that the infection could have got inside of me because I was not yet sexually active. So in their terms, they were very stumped as to why I had this lump the size of a grapefruit growing on my ovary. And I was in hospital for about two weeks. I went down to about seven stone. Um, I just couldn't eat and was in a lot of pain. And I had a, an operation to drain the abscess, which was as gross as it sounds. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I kind of sort of continued to just live, really. I think I was so young, I kind of blocked a lot of it out. And I didn't really listen to what the doctors had said in terms of what the future might look like for me. Um, but I continued to kind of feel tired all the time and, you know, really quite low emotionally. I continued to be really fixated on food. And my mum's always been very holistic in her approach to healthcare. And I've seen a Chinese doctor since I was about 16. So I kept going to see him and having massage and herbs. And um, at some stage, I went to go, oh no, so sorry, I get quite confused, but <laughs> I then went to uni um, and got glandular fever and felt a bit rubbish. And uh, after uni, I was in a long-term relationship and I went to my gynecologist because I always found sex very painful. Um, 
I'm not sure if your listeners were looking for this much information, but they definitely will be. Always. <laughs> I'm on a roll, so I'll keep going. Yes, do. So um, I kind of went to my gynecologist, the, the guy that had done my um, operation when I was 17, and I said, this really sucks. You know, like, this is really, really painful for me, and I don't really want to go through life not enjoying this thing. Um, and they said, okay, well, let's do a scan, and, you know, you might have just a lot of scar tissue from the first operation or whatever. Um, and I had the scan and it turned out that my left fallopian tube was infected. I don't know how. Um, and they said, okay, we want to remove that because obviously it's a risk if the, any of the infected material gets into your womb, then you're just basically like screwed for life. Um, so that was quite interesting because that was a kind of a voluntary, okay, I'll go into hospital again and like have another operation. Um, and then after I woke up from that operation, I was greeted with the news that they'd actually decided to take out both tubes. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so I went in as a fertile woman and I came out at the age of 22 as an infertile woman, having oh. not had any say in the process. So that was really, really hard. And my health just kind of deteriorated after that. Um, and I, I, I think I had too many antibiotics for my skin and I don't know, so much stuff going on and basically wound up kind of a couple of years later, just feeling terrible. And I went to see a functional medicine practitioner um, and she was also a naturopath and started working with her and discovered that I had SIBO, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth from all the antibiotics, loads of, you know, gut problems and imbalances and it was a long, long, long process. But as I was going through it with her, I just found it fascinating how she was able to heal me and, you know, the knowledge that she had and the way that she tied the picture all together from my kind of case history and from testing that she did. And I just thought this, like, I'm just really obsessed with this and I really want to kind of learn and, you know, do, do basically do that. I want to be you. Um, so I just kind of, yeah, I just, that was it really. I started studying, um, and here I am kind of helping people through the same thing. And I think it's, you know, it's really rare to meet a practitioner that hasn't got their own personal health story because it just, it spurs you on to want to help people in the same way. And I think yeah. it makes us a lot more relatable. Um, so that, that's kind of how I got into it, but, um, part of what I do now. <laughs> how incredible. Oh, what a journey. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Had you been studying something related at uni or was that like a complete change of direction? No. So I studied, I studied Spanish and modern Greek at Cambridge for four years, always knowing that I didn't want to be a linguist or a translator or anything like that. Um, I don't know. You just, you get an offer from a uni like that and you just think, can't turn this down. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually started off working in fashion when I finished um which is really lol now because these days I just have one outfit that I wear <laughs> your linen jumpsuit which I yes. love yeah I love it one. love that <laughs> it's so practical see we told you bum you yeah thanks girls uh yeah so complete I think as as a lot of us do you know we go to university and study these degrees that are completely unrelated to what our real interests are um and then you kind of graduate like thinking it's going to be really easy to get a job I mean I worked in retail for over a year when I graduated because I couldn't get a job doing what mm. I wanted to do and I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that stage um so yeah really really weird path but I'm quite happy with where I am now yeah, and such a lived experience to get to get you where you are 
today like how wonderful is it that you've been through such a journey and seen what an effect Mm. that your your functional medicine (laughs) practitioner yeah had on you and to be able to now give that to other people that's yeah yeah and it does make me really passionate about it and also really I get really quite frustrated when because you can't, you know, you can't help everyone and you, you can't, you definitely can't help people that aren't your patients. But when you have like friends or girlfriends or members of your family with health concerns, but they're not, and you know, each to their own, they might not be open to this way of, you know, this method of treatment. It's really hard to like hold your tongue just purely because I am so passionate about it. And I know, you know, the damage that being on antibiotics for a year can do to someone. So, um, Yeah. But no, it's it's great and and I love it, so I'm happy. <laughs> and what sort of um, tools do you use then, Grace? Because obviously you you do breath work as well, mm. um, and our listeners might know about this if they've listened to James Dowler on season two. But for anyone who doesn't know and is tuning in right now, can you tell us a little bit about breath work and then what other sort of tools mm. um, make up how you how you treat your patients? Yeah. So, um, breath and, and James is an amazing breath worker. I had him on my podcast too. He's just the dream. Um, so for me, breath work is about helping people to, to flip and switch their body into a healing state. So, you know, so much of the way that we live our lives these days is highly stressful, even if we don't realize that it is, but the kind of really um deep healing faculties of the body will only be switched on when we're in a parasympathetic nervous system state and most of us are in um a sympathetic nervous system state of a sort of fight or flight all the time um so breath work is just a really great tool and i so so the way i do it is i either give my patients access to my um patreon page where they can go and watch and do like half hour breath work classes or I just encourage them to find like three moments throughout the day where they sit for five minutes and focus on nasal breathing purely to help train their body and their nervous system to find that like healing zone. Um, because as much as I can prescribe supplements or, you know, change your diet, I cannot, um, so it's, it's so much work has to come from the patient. They have to be fully invested because they need to also be calm and, you know, be in a good headspace and get good sleep and, you know, do all these things for what I'm doing to actually work. So breathwork is a nice add-on because it's something concrete that I can give people to do that I know will tip them over into that rest, digest, heal. Um, So yeah, so I kind of came to that just got really interested in in the breath and how it can kind of make these phys- physiological changes in the body and then also from a kind of trauma side of things so a lot of patients i see have a significant amount of trauma in their lives i mean even if it's not something as you know serious in inverted commas as a death in the family or a horrific car accident you know trauma can is on a, a massive spectrum and we've all suffered some level of trauma. I know personally that the trauma that I suffered when I was younger has inhibited my healing process. But breathwork can be amazing because it can actually unlock that trauma. I mean, people have, I was teaching breathwork on a retreat day um, 
last month and you know people will cry during a breathwork session and they'll just have this huge release and it can be really really healing and help them kind of just get to the next stage um and then other ways um I mean I'm not practicing acupuncture at the moment because obviously like covid um (laughs) but um auricular acupuncture which is acupuncture of the ear um so it's not on the body I'm it sounds awful but like basically I just put needles in people's ears Um, (laughs) like getting your ears pierced loads yeah but um Serena will 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 know from reflexology but basically the feet and the ears are like a micro system so you can access all different parts of the body via the ear or via the foot um so that's the way it works and um yeah I've just always loved Chinese medicine and it's always worked amazingly well for me um, and that was just something that I wanted to add on it and it can be really useful if someone comes to see me in person and I sense that they're in that fight or flight state and they can't relax in the consultation just popping a few needles in in those certain points I just see them just physically chill out mm. and then I get more from them um, and then I guess you know diet supplements you know the normal kind of stuff yeah wow so there's a lot that you cover there is a lot. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot. And every time I, I, for that reason, I don't see that many patients. I tend to try and keep it quite like a, you know, five to six, between five and 10 people a month is my maximum because it is such an investment of time. And often it's very complex. Um, and, um, I also enjoy doing all of the other things that I do. Um, so, you know, I need to have time for those as well. Yeah. And you're someone, Grace, that I really, I really think has such a great work-life balance. (laughs) By that you mean? That's the dream. (laughs) By that you mean everything that I put on Instagram is, is the, um, outside of work stuff. (laughs) And then I feel like sometimes I just need to post that photo where I'm like, FYI, I'm at my laptop (laughs) just in case you all thought I don't do any work. But that's the boring, like, I mean, it's not boring, but you think, well, no one wants to see me working away. Mm. So when I'm quiet, that's what I'm doing. Everyone should just know that that's what goes on. <laughs> I know, but I think, I think Instagram is so, it kind of skews everything, doesn't it? And I think people don't necessarily know that. And it is really important to share the fact that we are all grafting away by ourselves and that, yes, I might show you all the fun stuff, but please know that my life is not perfect um you know the same as everyone else's so yeah yeah. how's all of your work been affected this year with the old the old corona um do you know what it's actually been fine I think I'm busier now than I ever have been um which is amazing and it was really weird to begin with switching over to zoom consultations just because I get so much from someone's physical appearance when I look at them um and I just don't get that on Zoom. You know, sometimes the connection's really bad. And the hardest thing is that often in an initial consultation, it can be very triggering for the patient and people cry. And mm. when I'm on the other end of the computer, it's so hard to comfort them or console them or just show any level of compassion because this screen is just, you know, so in the way. So that has been quite tricky to navigate. But apart from that, I think it's been great. And it's it's so nice to be able to keep working from home. And, you know, we, my husband and I moved down to Cornwall. And that was like always in the back of our minds. We always wanted to be down here, but we couldn't make it work 
work-wise because he was still gigging in London. He's a musician. And then Corona happened and it sucks a bit, but all his work dried up overnight. But there was also no reason for us to be in London anymore. So we hightailed it out of there, um, which has has been the best decision. We've got a million Cornwall questions for you. Yay, um, go. One more thing, one more, one more work thing, and then we'll okay. do house renovations and all that fun stuff. <laughs> what kind of things are people coming to you with? I mean, I'm sure it's super varied, but like what, yeah. what would be the, the most common couple of complaints that people would see a functional mm. nutritional therapist for? I think probably these days, certainly digestive health. Um, because that's huge for so many of us. And then um, I mainly see women. Um, I have had a couple of male patients, which has been really interesting in itself. But a lot of it is um, kind of hormonal imbalances, painful periods, um, wanting to get pregnant. Um, I had a lady recently who came to see me because she was trying, she couldn't get pregnant, and then she started seeing me and she got pregnant and it was the best thing ever. Oh my Um, God. Oh, that's so lovely. That's like the best part of the job. Um, I bet. And yeah, it really varies. Um, it's, it's, it's a really mixed bag, but the, it all starts in the same place. You know, I send people a really comprehensive health questionnaire and there's always stuff that maybe they don't think they're coming to see me for, but from my point of view, they so obviously are. Um, so yeah, it really, it really does depend, but there's definite um, themes in the kind of digestive health, just generally like feeling a bit low, you know, lackluster in terms of energy, um, like up and down hormonally and people wanting to kind of improve their diet and know what they should be fueling their body with rather than what Instagram tells them to eat or what they've heard in the media or whatever. So yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's such a, that's so prevalent in our generation, isn't it? It's, you just get sucked into oh, that person is eating that on YouTube every single day. So that's what I must do for my entirely different body. Like- yeah. So many people have digestive problems these days though. It's one of the most common things I see with reflexology and mm. often anxiety related, but I just think it's kind of scary how I feel like when we were little, no one had problems with their digestion, not in the yeah. same way. Now everyone you speak to has IBS or. Mm. But you know, there's certain things have changed. I mean, firstly, I tend to think that maybe people wouldn't discuss it as much back then. Mm. But also, you know, our food has changed. It's so much less nutritious than it ever used to be. We are so much more stressed than we ever used to be. And stress will adversely affect your gut bacteria. Um, We eat a much less varied diet, even though we think we're doing well. You know, you go to the supermarket and there are two varieties of lettuce, whereas in the past, there would have been 15 or 20 because maybe you would have grown them yourself. Um, and maybe when you grow them, grew them yourself, you would have eaten a bit of dirt with them, which is full of good gut bugs. Um, and, you know, refined foods, too much sugar, um, too much alcohol. It's, it's so easy these days to really badly affect your gut microbiome. And I think, you know, we've all had a few courses of antibiotics in our lives as well. We've all suffered significant stress. So, it is something that we all need to be aware of just because of the health benefits that we can gain from having a really robust um, gut health. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think people are talking about it more, that the dialogue is really open, which is fantastic. I mean, I spend a lot of my time with patients talking about their poo. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased that it's becoming more of a normal thing. Um, but yeah, certainly it's it has changed a lot. And 
you know, when you look at kind of your grandparents, you think, oh, they didn't have the health problems that I have. But you just have to, I think we all need to be really kind to ourselves and realize that we are products of our modern day society. And actually when we come to realize that we can treat ourselves with a little bit more compassion. We can make slightly better food choices. We can really prioritize our sleep. Um, you know, all those lifestyle things that make a huge impact to how your body works as a whole. Gosh, gosh. (laughs) You're the new Gillian Um, McKeith. Yeah, you are. The the, the sexy woman. All that poo chat. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not a sexy woman today in my post-tennis get You are 100%. You're the best. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Um, Grace, let's chat about your big old move to Cornwall, because what a transition that is. And I think... um, I was definitely like drawn to you and your journey when you moved to Cornwall, both you and Nick. So how does it feel to have left London life and the the hustle and bustle of the city? And and what drew you to Cornwall? I mean, I can imagine, but... Yeah. Do you know, it's weird because people build, build moving to sorry, people build moving out of London up in their heads so much. But actually when you do it, like within a day, I couldn't even imagine living in London anymore. Like I just, I cannot believe I have, I lived there for so long. Um, it's really funny how you just adapt and change so quickly. And I think, um, you know, Nick and I were never the types of people that, you know, sucked London dry for what it had to offer you know we weren't at theatres watching shows we weren't always out you know new restaurants and meeting friends we're real homebodies and we had a lovely space at home in London that we were really proud of and we loved and we just stayed in it a lot Mm -hmm. and um we we just I've always needed more space I've always wanted to be by the water Nick is Australian and grew up on an island um, with a population size of 8,000, you know, living wow. on the water, surfing every day. And when he was um, 18, he moved from the island to Sydney to pursue music. And he was in Sydney for nine years, which is a huge bustling city. And then he moved to London. Um, and we met a couple of years after he'd been in London. And he was just over major cities. He's a little bit older than me. And he was just, he'd just had enough by this stage of major cities. And um, Cornwall just always felt like the right place for us because of the surf. And I was so conscious that um, Nick had made a huge sacrifice, um, you know, living here rather than Australia. Um, You know, we see his family once a year. And now with COVID, you know, it's probably, I don't know when we'll next see them, which is really sad. Mm. So I really wanted to move to the coast somewhere where he could surf. But it was a huge decision because my family are from Kent, uh, which is completely the other side of the country. And I'm so close to my family. And I just felt like if we're living in this country and we're not in Australia, we should at least be near my parents because otherwise, what's the point? We could be somewhere else. You know, currently we're a six hour drive away. But kind of started, we were thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. We were looking at Wales for a long time. Um, We went and viewed a place in Wales that we were, we were going to open a cafe. <laughs> I can't believe oh, lovely. it. I know. That would have been amazing. Thinking about it now, I'm just like, I can't believe we, we even considered that because just so, so much hard work. But um, it, it basically came down to it and we just thought, you have to do what makes you happy in life. Um, mm. And so we moved to Cornwall. Uh, we were lucky to just, when we came to visit St Agnes, it just felt right. 
Um, there's such community down here. It's such a cool place. It's a real local community. So throughout the winter, things, you know, it doesn't just dry up. It's St. Agnes isn't kind of a tourist hotspot. Um, there's a lot of community and a lot of cool things going on. It just felt really perfect. Um, but when we viewed this house, I said categorically, no, I was like, this is just awful. I really just thought that we'd end up in like a beautiful Cornish cottage made of stone. You know how you see everyone moves to Cornwall and they live in these lovely cottages. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we viewed this place, which is essentially a big white bungalow. So not that beautiful from the outside, but, um, and also it was really awful on the inside. But the potential was huge, um, and so and, and the price was really good, and there was scope to have a little Airbnb, which is something again we also considered because when you move to Cornwall, you have to think, well, how am I going to make money down here? But yeah. it's so um, tough to find work. So we thought if we can have a little rental income as well in the summer, that will really help. Um, and it happened so fast. I just thought, oh well, let's just offer let's see what happens. You know, it was a lot less than we were selling our house for in London. And I thought, well, if we've got that bit of extra, then I can renovate and I can make it what I want. Um, so yeah, we did. And then we offered and COVID happened. (laughs) So then we moved in with my parents for three months in Kent, which was trying, uh, but (laughs) wonderful at the same time. Um, and finally got down here kind of mid June, but by this stage, the the person buying our house in London had negotiated a huge discount because of COVID and the fact that the bottom fell out of the housing market. So that kind of meant that the renovation budget was mm, dried up somewhat. Um, So we've, we've done the main bits. We haven't done um, the bathroom, which is a shame, but it's, it's livable. It's fine. And we'll do it at some stage. Um, But we did not realize how tough it would be renovating a house that you're also trying to live in so we had builders here and we assumed that it would be a two-week job we were like oh yeah it's laying a floor putting some new kitchen fronts on like knocking down a couple of walls whatever it was just over a month and we had no kitchen you know the dust was insane like clouds of it breathing it in trying to run a business but like not being able to go on zoom because it was so loud we ended up basically just camping in Nick's studio which thank god he'd finished building before the builders started because it's soundproof and it's just been immensely stressful they say that moving house is as stressful as getting a divorce wow yeah it's like up there with the top five life stresses and I would 100% agree with that it has been really hard but we finished it two days ago yay yay yeah and it just feels amazing just to live it's just so good. Yeah. Just to now be like, right, here we are. Yeah. Thank you. It's weird because in, I, I initially felt like I was going to go for a very kind of like, you know, dark feature wall with like maybe a contrasting orange velvet sofa, like very London. Um, and then we got here and I was like, I can't do that in a beach house. This needs to be like light and airy and white and spacious and like linens and earth and you know, so I completely changed the whole idea that I had for it. Um, and I have to say, I rather like it. Mm, it does look lovely. And if you're listening and you don't have, haven't peeked at Grace's house, yeah. then go and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely film like a house tour. There's a couple of things we're still waiting for. So I'm just going to like hold fire on that. 
Oh, I'll, I'll be do, I'll be the first to watch. See. Yeah, <laughs> it looks so amazing. And honestly, like the day I can move persuade my boyfriend to move to the sea done mm. I'd be there in a flash which actually that leads us quite nicely onto Instagram talking about yep. your your um house bid because Sarah and I have both been saying for ages that you're one of our absolute favorite accounts to follow because it's like Aww. beautiful interiors nice sea and it feels like you have a really really strong sense of community with your followers. And so we're just wondering like what you love about Instagram and how important a role that plays in your work and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I, so I've always kind of worked before I, I was working in marketing in London and, um, a lot of that was kind of social media stuff. And I was kind of trying to do my Instagram at the same time, but I, I never went on Instagram with the goal of like, being on Instagram, which I think is so common for a lot of people. And I'm still not really an Instagrammer. I don't think of myself as one. I just love, I love like being the center of attention sometimes. And I think that's like quite a, a revelation to make. And I think it's quite honest of me actually, because, you know, my husband, Nick is an incredible musician. I mean, if you haven't listened to his music yet, Nick Kingswell, he's very good, but he cannot promote himself for love nor money. And, you know, he really struggles with Instagram. Whereas I grew up being on stage and dancing and singing and performing. And it just feels like an extension of that. But I I just love the kind of, I'm also heavily into design and art and curating imagery and I love the fact that it's like a creative outlet for me mm-hmm. before I went to Cambridge I was supposed to go to art college and then I got off from Cambridge and I sort of like ditched the whole creative aspect of my personality which I then really regretted um, because I am obsessed with images and beautiful things so I love um, like curating a feed and I love taking pictures even though I don't really know how to use a camera I do it all on my iPhone Um, and I just, I don't know. I I like sharing stuff with people. I like talking to people. I like the fact that people like me on Instagram. Um, (laughs) and I'm really lucky that, you know, I'm, I'm a very small fish and I don't really suffer any kind of abuse or like hatred on the gram as I know people with really big accounts do. So whether I've got that coming to me, I don't know, but it just, it feels really genuine to share what I'm doing. And if people can, glean information from it um you know whether that's like a little tidbit of info about how important it is to get outside first in the morning for your health and your melatonin production or if it's just that they can giggle at me doing something silly like dancing in my living room then fine and I've 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 helped in some way and I think that's really nice um so yeah I hope to continue growing the community um, but I have taken some of it kind of offline recently with Patreon because I just kind of got fed up of like being a nutritionist on Instagram. I don't love posting nutritional therapy content. I actually just love posting like life stuff, yeah. as I'm sure you will have noticed. So I've created a Patreon page where I can impart knowledge to people on a weekly basis that goes into depth and they can ask me questions. And it's a really lovely community of people that want to learn and then I keep the like fun stuff and the interiors and the swims and the surfs to Instagram. 
What, what a lovely, lovely refreshing way to look at it all. Sarah, you were about to say the same thing, weren't exactly you? Exactly the same thing, exactly <laughs> the words. I just think it's hard sometimes, isn't it? When you, like, you're a yoga teacher or you're a reflexologist or you're a nutritional therapist and you feel like sometimes you have to share content about that, like, oh, I must do a post about how eating a diverse diet affects your gut microbiome. I can't be bothered a lot of the time because mm. I, I talk about that all the time with my patients. And actually, Instagram for me is a creative outlet. So I'm so happy that I've separated the two. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, people, fo- people can follow me for pretty much one thing now rather than maybe being fed up because I wasn't posting recipes. Like, I, I hate posting recipes. <laughs> um, you know, if they want that, they can go to Patreon and, and that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, gosh, it's such a nice way to, to put it because sometimes I'm like, oh God, I haven't posted anything yoga related in ages. Yeah. Like, why would people land on my page? But it's just, it's just me. It's just, yeah, yeah you're so right. An outlet of our lives and that's how yeah, it should totally. be. And I think, you know, these days we are, we are all so fascinated with each other, aren't we? Like we are obsessed about how people live their lives and like what they eat. And, you know, I follow you, Sarah, for your epic coffee photos, morning porridge. <laughs> and just like, I love it when you talk to the camera because you're funny and engaging and, and I love that. And, and Sarah posts affirmations every morning, which I totally really? dig. Yeah. But if I wanted to like talk to you about yoga or reflexology I would probably get in touch personally and you know I think it's that's just yeah there's an expectation isn't there that you have to post a certain type of content and I just think that's bullshit yeah I love that someone's actually saying that because I feel like you know for so many of us Instagram is a marketing tool and we feel like we have to talk about our work and stuff yeah I often get way more engagement when I post pictures of my boyfriend or my dog or like us having a gin and tonic at the weekend. People care more about that than about they your do. work. Because they yeah. want you to be normal and, and for it yeah. to feel normal and be approachable. And I think that that's what it should be, like a, a place to like support people, learn about how other people live their lives. And, you know, Nick's always said this to me. He's, he's always like, don't worry about what other people post, are posting. People are following you for you because they're interested in what you're doing. So I just do that now. And I've like completely, I mean, remember like last year I was trying to make recipe videos and stuff. I'm so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So stressful. You um, just, you do you. That's how we should all look at it. Exactly. And I if people don't that. want to follow you, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's just a number. <laughs> it's just a number. But also when the number gets bigger, people Ooh. give you free stuff. Um, that's a joke that's a joke and I hope the listeners will uh, will realize that it's not what it's about um yeah. funny joke about being on Instagram guys oh, lol, 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 lol. Um, Grace you mentioned briefly in, in all of that wonderful wonderful chat about um getting outside first thing mm. and that's something that I I want to really learn about from you um mm one of our guests Jess in season one that was her healthy habit as well but it's great to to hear it from your point of view Mm. and also you talk about red light therapy do they go hand in hand yes and just tell us the benefits okay so um when we so when the sun gives out light you know that is called the visible light spectrum and in that spectrum as you will know from GCSE physics I think there is everything from blue and green to red and purple and all the lovely colors in between when the sun rises and sets we get the red frequency so the red wavelengths of light 
And during the day, we get more of the blue and green spectrum. But the crucial thing is with the sun is that we never get one without the other. So I'll come on to that in a minute in terms of like blue light and what um, we've done as humans to basically screw ourselves up. So basically in the morning, if you can get out and watch the sunrise or in the evening, if you can watch the sunset, those frequencies of light have been shown to be the most healing on the body. So where red light therapy comes in, it's, it's not like a sort of faddy thing. It's basically just what they've done is they've isolated that fraction of the spectrum and put it in a lamp. Because how often do we watch sunrise or sunset, right? Yeah. Not that often. So that's what red light therapy is. And it's amazing for calming inflammation. Um, it's, so the other thing to, to realize is it's all about mitochondria. So inside every one of our cells in our body, we have mitochondria. And they are like the energy powerhouse of the cell. So they make ATP in, well, in a roundabout way of saying, which is like energy for the body. And every process in the body needs energy. So if you can support your mitochondrial function, you can support better healing, sleep, energy production, everything. Um, and the, the thing to notice, to, to realize here is that humans have two energy sources, um, food that we consume, but also light. So light has the ability to boost mitochondrial function on a cellular level. So basically more full spectrum lights in your life equals better health long-term. Um, really important to get the red wavelengths in when you can. And the thing about the morning is that, um, firstly, if you get outside first thing in the morning, any kind of residual melatonin, which is the sleepy hormone that's lingering around, making you feel a bit groggy in the morning, will be like banished very fast. So you'll feel awake more. But getting outside first thing in the morning also means that melatonin production is boosted um, come the nighttime hours. So when the sun goes down, your melatonin production is, um, you know, regulated and happening correctly. So you will then sleep better mm. and then you feel better. The issue mm. comes, though, when um, humans, as we have very cleverly, have um, isolated just the blue, the blue wavelengths of light. Um, and like I said, in nature, you never get one without the other. It's a broad spectrum. But, you know, when the sun goes down, our melatonin should be firing. We should be preparing for bed. But actually, we're just surrounding ourselves by this blue light, which wakes us up and screws the mitochondria and everything is rubbish. So that's why things like blue blocking glasses and turning off the lights and stuff are really crucial in the evening. Mm. Wow. I've, I've, I've never learn about that like you've just said it so thank you is it the same grace it like can you just sit by your window in the morning and get that light on your face or does do you have to be outside outside yeah 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 and you know you can also make melatonin on the skin so it's like the um phrase that a lot of people kind of bandy around in the functional medicine space is skin in the game so always try and get your skin in the game and that light into your eyes um even if it's just like opening your window and sticking your head out the window, it's great. But, you know, by the same extension, if you feel lovely and warm and, and, you know, calm and unstressed sitting by your window first thing in the morning, still do that because it's still having a positive effect on your body, but outside if you can. Yeah. 
Yeah. That must be one of the many reasons you feel better when you're on holiday. Cause at home you like roll out of bed, make a coffee onto your laptop. Whereas on holiday, yeah. you always like walk out, look at the view, sit and have your breakfast in totally. the sun. Yeah. And you know, there's a reason that we all love to sunbathe because we, you feel so good in the sun. And yet, you know, a lot of the time we fear the sun. We've been told to put sunscreen on as soon as we're in the sun. We've been told to cover up. We've been told that, you know, we're going to get all of these awful things that are going to happen to us. I'm not saying they won't, but I'm also saying that, you know, be sensible about it. Don't go out there and fry yourself and get burnt, but do get full spectrum sunlight on your skin because it will improve your health. Yeah. And that's what the research says. Um, you know, if you, if you delve into it and I have done, and I have written about it and also got a lot of hatred back because I don't wear sunscreen, but I, I have adapted my skin to cope better, um, with the sun. So the more you're out, the better protected your body will naturally be. I obviously don't go and fry myself, you know, be Mm. sensible, but, um, you know, just think about how good you feel when you've sat in the sun for 10 minutes. It's, it's, you can't, you can't ignore that. No, because, it's such a tonic, you know, isn't it? Yeah. And humans, we've evolved with the sun over centuries. So to, to fear it just seems just really sad. I mean, it sounds like we're essentially plants. Yeah. Yeah. So plants take sunlight and via chlorophyll, they make carbon dioxide and then that's how they sustain themselves. With humans, it's, you know, lights and mitochondria and food, but it's the same outcome, energy. I'll channel that. Yeah. Serena, I think that we, both, both you and I were a bit um, confused about Grace's healthy habit because you said to Grace, so you said getting out first thing. Yeah. And then of course you said cold water swimming. Yes. Um, so, you know, both can be done at the same time. So this morning I woke up and the first thing I did was go for an amazing swim. Like it was sensational down there this morning. Um, and the reason I love swimming is one, because it makes you feel fantastic. And secondly, because you know, that, you know, like grounding hashtag grounding, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, via our, so the soles of our feet secrete, um, I think it's, uh, I need to, look, I can't remember, but it's basically like sweats or like sodium chloride or something. We secrete this, moisture from our feet and and that's what makes the kind of um electron transfer with the ground and that's how like grounding is actually a real thing it's not just like a woo woo instagram thing but you know most of our bodies are water we're like 70 percent water and i always feel way more connected to myself and to the environment around me when i'm submerged in water um and really interestingly someone said to me you guys might know better than me actually but the sacral chakra which is like your creativity chakra. Mm. Um, isn't that like improved and healed by submersion in water? Oh, I didn't know that, you know. Yeah. It's linked to the water element, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, and, and that so made, amazing. and as I was going through my healing journey, that made so much sense to me because I always felt way calmer and way more in control and just happier after I'd been swimming. And it was also a bit of a test, you know, I, I felt like, when I was really unwell, if I can get into this cold water and then get out again, like, look what I've done. It's an amazing achievement. Um, and it's so powerful when you swim with friends, how much it unites you, you know, how, how the cold unites you. And that's not to say I'm like looking forward to how cold the water's going to get in winter. (laughs) Um, but it is, it is quite magical. So yeah, I would encourage people to, to give it a go if they haven't yet. 
Serena, were you able to do any of any of Grace's healthy habits? Probably. I haven't swum so. because there is a very long waiting list at my local Lido Lido. I know. But I'm going to be honest. I'm going to approach the getting outside first thing with a newfound gusto this week because I had thought that it was just like you liked doing a bit of movement outside, and now that I know that it's about the light, mm. I'm going to commit mm. to that. Yeah, and just see, you know, maybe. Awesome. Yeah, keep like a little track of just say how your sleep quality changes you know go outside for 20 minutes every morning and that week think like have I slept better do I feel more rested might just be like an interesting little test yeah. to do. I will let you know Sarah Great. how'd you get on I've been trying to do it but I didn't go outside <laughs> but it was like the way the, the timings of the day at the moment the sun rises there's like houses at the front and it rises so perfectly when I when I've been waking up just above the houses so I've been sitting and having my first tea of the day and just like taking in the light kind of meditating but not really just like enjoying my tea um but the window wasn't open it was closed but still the light just made me feel wonderful mm, yeah and then also, because I was gearing up for you, Grace, and I wanted to learn about red light therapy, Serena and I both have this um, lovely little contraption that was very kindly sent to us. See, that's what, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> but it has a red light thing, and you you put these serums and stuff on it, and then you put it around your face. So, Is it one of those masks? No. Oh. What, what's it called? It, 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 it's oh, called, yeah. the, the brand, it's Swedish, that it's called Foreo. And it's like a little oh, thing that. that emits light and cold and it vibrates and it just, yeah. and you put like a mask on it and you rub it on your face and it feels awesome. Yeah, those are the, I've seen those advertised a lot, incidentally by Instagrammers, but I thought that they, <laughs> I didn't realise they had the light thing. I thought that they just were like a cleaning device. It's, an, it's a new one. Oh, okay. Interesting. They do red light with heat and then blue light with cryotherapy. Oh, the cryotherapy. So the only yeah. thing with red light is that you have to make sure that it's like above 660, what's the unit? Basically wavelength, you know, the, the measurement for light. Right. And um, so you could ask Foreo if it was. Um, but if anyone is interested in red light therapy, then hands down the best company out there is um, Red Light Rising. And they make, it, it, is, it is pricey, but they make um, their smallest one, which is just like an individual lamp. Um, I think it's £95, but I will at least once a day just shine that on my face because it helps with like collagen and um, repair and like skin damage and stuff like that. So how long do I you think sit? personally I'm looking younger, but I don't know, you know. <laughs> and how long do you need to sit with it, Grace, to take in the, the benefits, to reap the benefits? Um, so you can work, you can start small is always a, a good thing. So just start with a couple of minutes and you can kind of work up to like 20. Um, but actually I forgot to say that the reason I first tried it was because I was trying everything to help heal my eczema. Um, because it is really beneficial for kind of eczema and psoriasis and stuff. Obviously, you know, you've got to treat what's happening within first mm. rather than just treating the symptoms on the skin. But I thought if it was like a nice helping hand that I would give it a go. Um, and I did notice huge, I actually don't have eczema anymore since moving to Cornwall. Not sure why. I think it might be the water down here, but I did notice that if I had scratched in the night and my skin was slightly damaged, it would heal so much faster with wow. red, red light. Yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. Interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to invest then. It's basically like a sunrise every day for yourself. Yeah. If you can, it's quite early though, isn't it? But there you go. <laughs> 
Wow. What what a lot of things we've covered. We have. I want to ask you a million more things, but I'm aware of the time. Oh, no, it's been so great. Well, you guys will have to come down to Cornwall. We can have like an immersive weekend where we just like swim and cook stuff. Yes. It could be like, we could do like a mini three-man retreat. Yes. That would be great. Yes. Yeah, followers, oh listeners, you are welcome when we're allowed. When we're allowed we all to do have it. skills that we can like do on one another. I can give yes. you guys acupuncture. Sarah, you can teach us yoga. And, and I can give you reflexology. Touch my feet. <gasps> oh my God, let's do it. I'm so excited. You're going to regret inviting us when in a couple of weeks time you hear a ring on the doorbell and me oh. and Sarah are like, hello. <laughs> no, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. <laughs> oh, Grace, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for coming. Thanks guys, Thank it's you been so amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Bye. Thank you so much, Grace, for taking the time to chat to us today. She is just so knowledgeable and eloquent. I love that so much. I really think that if we met in real life, we'd be the best of pals. Oh, we will, Serena. We will meet and we will all have the jolliest of times. (laughs) If you would like the recipe for today's episode, the delicious pasta, then you can find it on our brand new Patreon page, which we will leave in the show notes below this episode. And if you'd like to know more about Grace and all of her goings on, we'll also pop her details in the show notes. And she also has a great podcast called State of Mind, which both Serena and I just love. Right. Well, I am actually off now to make Grace's spaghetti with pangrattata for lunch. So got a dash. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.